Happy 2022 and welcome back to the Chicago XA podcast. Yeah, it's so good to be back. I'm your host, Justin. I'm on staff with Chicago Chi Alpha. And hey, it's a new year. It's a new week. And we got a fresh episode for you from our first thermostat of the year. But before we get into that new episode, over the past 14 days, we've been engaging together our community fast. And I want to encourage you as today, January 31st, 2022, marks our last day of our community fasting. And as you're listening to today's episode, I want to encourage you to really lean into what the Lord is speaking, not just our speaker, but what the Lord is speaking through our speaker, if you catch my drift. With that being said, we welcome back our friend and local pastor of Belmont Assembly of God Church here in Chicago. Please welcome back Pastor Joey Silva. Amen. Um, By the way, I was just thinking about this when you mentioned fasting. Uh, if you want an easier way to think about it, fasting is like when you're playing a video game against somebody and you're just kind of leaning back and then they start winning and you sit up. Sit up is when you fast. Right? It's like when you, oh, I'm going to take this serious now. Um, but uh, I'm just so grateful uh, to be with you guys. And I've told Pastor Todd, anytime that you need me or you'd like me to come out, it's literally a 20-minute drive from my house. I am born and raised in this city. I am at a church. I've been pastoring now for the last 13 years in this city. The city has my heart, and so you are in the city. You are part of that heart, and I'm just so grateful. And I know, you know, people, for the most part, we get along as soon as we meet, but they tend to like me a lot more when they meet my family. So let me just real quick, if you want to see my family, this is my wife, Cicely, my eldest daughter, Josie, and our newest baby, Olivia. That's when she was just born. I got a picture, though, where she doesn't look like a potato head. Where's the next... That's her a little more plump, Josie and Olivia. Josie's just over two years old, and Olivia's five months old. I think I got one more where they just kind of the nature of their relationship. They love each other. Uh, Well, Josie loves Olivia. Olivia tolerates Josie. Um, And so just to give you kind of a a hindsight of my family. And uh, the other day, I I went shopping for my family. went to Costco, and uh, I love fruit from Costco, Uh, mainly because you're kind of guaranteed a certain quality of fruit, especially because they have a great return policy. So if the grape is off, y'all, you can return the grape, okay? Now, I'm too embarrassed to do that, but I like to know that I can do that if I ever wanted to. And so, you know, I might pay a little bit extra money for two pounds of strawberries, but I know that every strawberry I buy it into is a good strawberry. Because the worst thing that can happen is you get a little bit of a taste for some fruit, and you open it up or you take a bite out of it, and it's bad. You know what I'm saying? And there are some fruits where it's just a gamble, yo. Like watermelon, everybody thinks they know how to pick a watermelon. It's, it, it's just the Lord, man. It, it either is or it isn't. You know, people smell the watermelon. They knock on the watermelon. They swear that the circumference of the watermelon somehow tells you it's good or bad. And you don't know until you bite it. And then you're either happy or horribly disappointed. And the worst part, watermelon is a lot of work. Like when you cut into it, that's like 30 minutes of prep. And then you take a bite, and it's like nothing. It has no flavor. It's just water. And you're like, I'm going to eat the whole thing because I just spent like a half hour putting it together. But you're salty. Melons are the same way. Uh, even like apples, right? Like sometimes you get a taste for an apple, and you're all excited, and you take a bite. And I don't know about y'all. I am disgusted by mushy apples. Like if I bite into it and I don't hear the I'm like super sad. It's got to sound like a transformer when I bite it. Like that's the only way that the apple is good. And so I, you know, I'm weary sometimes of fruit. Not all fruit is necessarily going to be good. But there are some fruits that, that got your back. There's some fruits that give you a heads up. They'll let you know from a long way, homie, you don't want any of this. This is not good. 
And there are other fruits that are like, right now, this is the time, right? I think the best one is the banana. Bananas don't lie to you, man. Bananas will let you know if it is time or if you missed your marks. Matter of fact, let, let me do this for you. I got a little social experiment. I like to see where people are at. Show of hands, how many in the room, you're level one banana, like that, that's your thing. Okay, you're weird, you're weird. Cause let me tell you, level one banana, those are platano maduro, those are tostones. That is not what you open up and eat, okay? That is for mofongo, that is not for you to just open up and eat. That's a level one. Level two, anybody here level two bananas? Okay, I can maybe, like if I have to, like if I'm in a hurry, Level two banana is the Popeye's biscuit of fruit. Like, it just chalks you up. It's a weird feeling when you eat a level two banana. Where are my level three at, peoples? All right, see? That's where the sanity lives. That's level three. Level four, who's level four? Okay, y'all like freckles on your bananas. I can maybe do a level four, uh, but I, that one's, that, they're not too honest on that one. Level five, anybody level five? Oh, uh, that's like you got digestive problems, lady. It's just like... Like, you need to make sure you can poop that out later. <laughs> level six. Who's my level six? That's a milkshake. I don't even know why you're lifting it. That is only good for protein or milkshakes. And level seven. Anybody here actually eat a level seven? Uh, no, I'm a down. No, no, no. Level seven is like 98% sugar. That is banana bread. That's, or no, let's be honest, though. That's banana bread. Ain't nobody ever make banana bread. I don't know who in the world produces banana bread. There is like 0.3% of human beings that, because the rest of us are like, no, don't throw it away. I'm going to make banana bread. And like, we really should throw this out. No, no, I'm going to make banana bread. The banana is hanging off the little hook thing. It opened on its own. And you swear, no, I'm going to make banana bread until it's super black and dead. And still there's a party that's like, I don't know, you think it's good? Like, you think maybe we could still make banana bread? Right? I love the banana because the banana don't lie to you. Even though level three is the best, let's be honest, level three is only good for all of 37 minutes. You got about a 37-minute window to eat a level three banana before it goes to level seven. And so, uh, you know, bananas, they have a short time frame, but at least they're honest. At least they let you know what's on the inside. You can easily tell whether the fruit is good or bad just by looking at it. Why am I bringing all that up? Well, the Bible tells us that part of how we can identify Christians, believers, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, is by the fruit that they bear. By what you produce is an easy way to tell. The problem is we really can't always tell right off the bat because we've gotten really good at producing fake fruit. My wife and I, we love to travel, at least before we had kids. We traveled a lot before children entered into the world. Now I travel a lot, and she looks at the pictures of when I come back. But when we travel, we would go all over. Like, I proposed to my wife in a castle in northern Scotland. It was dope, y'all. Like, I set the bar so that my daughters would not be impressed with some boy's bougie trip to Miami. That's like, nah. <laughs> my mommy got proposed to in a castle in Scotland. And then when I found out we were going to have a baby, my wife told me in a castle in Japan under a cherry blossom tree. So, like, we royalty in our house. We all about the legit stuff. And so... I remember when we were on that trip in Japan, it was her dream trip, so I set it up, and we went to Japan, and man, we love Japanese culture, and so we're walking through all this stuff. You know, me and my wife really love watching anime, and so uh, we're like all about looking at everything. But the funny thing is, if you've never been to Japan, or if you ever get a chance to go to Japan, when you go through like an area where there's a lot of restaurants, you'll notice that all the restaurants have the, basically the entire menu in the window. And it's not on paper, it's in plastic food. Japan has this amazing industry of 
producing fake food. It looks real. Like, no key, I felt dumb. Because at first I'm like, yo, how they put that bowl of ramen in the window? Like, it looks so real. And if you get up close and you actually touch it, you'll start to realize that it's plastic. But some of the food, especially like some of the fruits, it's 360. I mean, it looks legit. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's polished. It looks appetizing. You might even salivate looking at it. But the reality is, if you cut into it, it's hollow. And I think that's something we need to start to recognize because this world is filled with a lot of people that on the outside, they carry a title of Christian or they act like what we think Christians should act like or they're polished how we think Christians are polished. They basically, they have the veneer, but if you cut into it, they're either hollow or even worse, rotted on the inside. And where this is seriously a problem is there is a world who is hungry for this fruit that God is producing in believers. And when they think you're a believer and they take a bite into it and they find out it's hollow or rotted, not only are they having a distaste for you, now they don't want to have to do anything with God in its entirety. Because you represented in a bad way what they were hungry for. My daughter, she's two years old. Man, if we don't give her a good piece of food, she will never eat that food again. We learned earlier, we tried to give her uh, a straw. I, I forgot what fruit it was, but I remember we tried to give her a food. I think it was avocado. We're like, hey, we're going to make it. I love avocado. She's going to try avocado. We had her try avocado at six months. She's two years old. She will not for the life of us ever try avocado because she remembered that first time it wasn't good. And there's a whole world of people that maybe at one point were willing to try out Christianity, even just to sit in a room like this and hear it out. But they had a bad taste from somebody who claimed to be a Christian. They were hurt by somebody who looked polished and looked clean. And now they not only have a distaste for that individual, but for all of us who represent Christ. And even worse, for Christ himself. And I think this is something you and I need to get a hold of, need to get aware of, not just for the outsiders, but even for ourselves, those of us in this room who claim this title. So I want to look in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, if you want to write this down so you can look it up later, make sure P. Joe is not a liar. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, listen to this warning. Jesus is talking here. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So it doesn't matter what you say. What matters is who you are. That'll be the true measure of the fruit that you produce. That'll be what will either draw people closer to Christ or repel them further away. And so I was thinking about all that, and I was thinking about the fruit that we produce, and I was reminded of a story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is finding himself in a garden. Now, let me give you a little bit of context leading up to this point. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples, hey, there's going to come a moment where I'm going to be captured I'm going to be beaten, tortured, bruised. I'm going to be led to my own death. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to come back because I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to go beyond it so that you and I can have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that the consequences of sin, and we all sin, is death. Death, not just physical, but spiritual. We are separated from God. So when Christ died on the cross and resurrected, not only did he give us 
this life that we get to live now, but now he's given us eternal life connected back to the Lord, okay? Just to give you some preface. So Jesus was warning them, telling his disciples, letting them know what was up, and he's telling them up to these days, hey, it's coming soon, like tomorrow. And then we find ourselves in the garden where it's all about to go down. And I want you to notice that in this garden, there's a lot of fruit that we might mistake as genuine when really it's fake. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 47. It says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus uh, to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords, and one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. In this garden, there's some fruit that I think oftentimes we're seeing in, in social media and on the news and in our own relationships with people, people that are claiming to be fruit but are reality fake fruit. And I think sometimes in order to identify real, you got to know what's fake. And so if you're taking notes, I want to walk through a few fake fruits, a few things that sometimes if we're not careful, we can be misguided as real. And the first one is this, the uh, fruit of public affection. Judas comes up to his rabbi, his master, his teacher. He's about to betray him, and yet he kisses him. Now, in Jewish culture, particularly at that time, when you greeted your rabbi with a kiss, that was a very, very tender way of greeting them. Right? It's way more than a high five. It's a closeness in the relationship. And Jesus points out the hypocrisy. He's like, bro, you're betraying me with a kiss? You don't see the irony in that? But here's the deal. A lot of times we can get confused because we see men and women showing public affection to God and yet betraying them with how they live on the inside and who they are outside of church or outside of circles like this. So what do I mean by public affection? Just because a person lifts their hands when the music is playing doesn't mean much. Just because they know when to say amen while the preacher's talking, just because they walk around with the Bible, just because they tell you they grew up in church does not mean anything. Because we can all learn the rhythms and the motions of stuff and not be genuine. All right? Just because you say something or just because you act a certain way doesn't mean you are. We can easily go through all the public motions and still be spiritually dead on the inside. The Pharisees call out Jesus in another portion of the gospel in Matthew. There's this moment where uh, they're all getting ready to eat, and the Pharisees, who are the leaders of the religious law at that time, they notice that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands. Now, I know in the last two years, the whole world learned how to wash their hands. I guess we didn't realize how to do that previous to COVID. But now, all of a sudden, we can all wash our hands. Thank you, Jesus. That's really nice. Guys, you don't have to just sprinkle your hands anymore when you come out to wash them. You can wash your whole hands. Uh, and so now is this moment where, where there's washing of hands. But here's the deal. This wasn't a hygiene thing. This was a ceremony that they would perform before eating. It was a religious ceremony. And so the Pharisees, they're calling them out. They're trying to claim, hey, your disciples, all of you are fake. Y'all didn't even go through the ceremony. You didn't even wash your hands. 
And I love how Jesus claps back because, listen, Jesus doesn't always remain silent. Every now and then he claps back. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9. He says, these people, the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. We need to bring farce back. That's a dope word. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. What is he saying? He goes, I don't care if you follow the ceremony if your heart's not even there. And so I think about this. A lot of my friends growing up, uh, during this time, they would fast meat on Fridays. And they were strict on it, bro. Like, they'd come over to eat in my house, and, you know, my mom would serve a plate. Like, oh, I'm not eating meat. It's Friday. I'm like, bro, you were high 23 minutes ago. <laughs> like, you're in a gang. I have seen you shoot people. <laughs> but you fast meat? How dumb is that? Yeah, you know, we got to fast, bro. Why? You know, because I don't want to make God mad. I don't think God's happy with you as it is. <laughs> but, again, what is it? It's, it's ceremony, right? It, it's this idea that, like, oh, well, you know, I've been, I've been baptized. I was like, mm, it's, you know, that's just like a bath if there's nothing behind it. <laughs> right? I'm fasting. Yeah, but you're not praying. You're just on a bad diet. Like, it doesn't matter if you didn't eat, if you didn't pray. Like, you, you might as well have ate. And so the problem is, especially in American culture, we go through ceremony and think that in and of itself that justifies us. Right? Well, I was baptized as a baby. Okay. Probably every day, right? You were washed, but you didn't make any decisions. You didn't understand what was going through. You didn't move in that direction. So you went through the ceremony. I had this one lady one time, a friend of mine, actually. She wanted me to dedicate her child. I said, I'm not going to do that. And she was kind of like thrown back. I mean, she's like, why wouldn't you do that? Well, we want to dedicate your child, but here's what you got to understand, especially in, in uh, you know, Christian culture. When we dedicate a child, it really has nothing to do with the child. The child just is like trying to keep their head up, like, they're not even there yet. It is a parent standing before God and people saying, I am committing to raising this child up in God's way, the way God has called me to according to his word. It is a commitment that the parent is doing. So I looked and said, you don't, you're not living for God. You don't even go to church. You're like, there's nothing about you that's living for God. You just have this kind of idea that in your head, well, I got to dedicate my kids so they don't go to hell. Your kid, if they go to hell, is only because you're not leading them to heaven. And so why, why are we doing this? And so my thing was, I don't want to placate to your religiosity and your ceremony when really it's a farce. See, I'm bringing it back. I'm dope like that. <laughs> and so we got to be careful because sometimes, like I had a buddy of mine one time. I was so excited when I was a teenager. He came to church, and he raised his hand during that prayer time to say yes to Jesus. I'm like, oh, awesome. And then the next week, he wanted to get baptized. I'm like, you want to get baptized? That's so cool, man. I'm like, why do you want to get baptized? He's like, yeah, I just don't want to go to hell. I was like, but what about, like, all the other parts of your life? I got no desire to change that. I'm like, but you, you, you sell, like, illegal drugs. <laughs> like, should, don't you think we should stop that? Nah, nah, nah. I just want to make sure I don't go to hell. He thought the ceremony was going to be enough. Listen, you can, you can have a wedding ceremony and be a horrible spouse. Just, you can have a horrible marriage, but you went through the ceremony. And so what are we saying here? Just because there's public affection, just because there's ceremony, doesn't mean there's fruit. Second thing we notice here is the fruit of unrighteous anger. So Jesus is about to get captured, and his disciples are like, we brought the guns. Should we shoot? And we know later on that this Peter that jumps the gun, because Peter always jumped the gun. Peter pulls out his sword. I like half of the disciples like, what should we do? And Peter's like, I got an idea. Slop. 
and just sliced old boy's ear off. Okay? And you got to imagine Jesus like, yo, I've spent three years with you guys. At any point, did you think it was a good idea to cut a dude's ear off? Like, I've told you that I'm going to die so that they can live. Why do you think it's okay for you to kill that guy? Okay? And so here's the, the, where I'm trying to bring this because we've gotten into this culture, this idea that we believe just because you're the angriest that you're right. Well, he, he, look at how angry they are. There's got to be right. Listen, you could be super angry and still be super wrong. But somehow we think if we get louder and angrier, that justifies us in being right. You're just loud, angry, and wrong. Just because you're loud and angry doesn't mean you're right. Again, I have a two-year-old. I'm telling you from experience. She's getting to that mode now where I'm like, Josie, put that down. Mm. Josie, put that down. The other day she tried to give me one of these. She went. I said, hey, listen, don't act like a monkey. I'm a gorilla. You need to calm down here. She tried to hit me with the two-step. said, no, you messing with the wrong one here. Right? What is she doing? She thinks because she's angry, because she's crying, because she's throwing a fit, that she's going to get her way. She's going to be crying with a fit, and she's going to be crying more because of what I'm about to do to this child. And I'm trying to teach her, you're not right. And just because you're mad about it doesn't somehow make you right. And so here's the problem when it comes to Christianity a lot of times, is there is a sector, a small sector, but a very vocal sector, that is very angry and loud. And they're, they're very vocal on social media, on television. They invoke the name of Jesus, but they don't represent Jesus. Just because they say, well, Jesus this and Jesus that, that doesn't mean they're representing Jesus. It's kind of like when, when some of these music artists, when they receive an award, and they're, I like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you look at the lyrics of the song that they won the award for, and you know Jesus like, I had nothing to do with that song. <laughs> That's all them. You can take all the credit for what you did. That is not, I have nothing to do with that. And, and, and there are people, you know, there are celebrities, politicians, individuals, celebrity Christians. There are people who invoke what they like to think of as righteous anger. And they'll tell you stuff like, yeah, well, Jesus flipped tables. And I'm like, he walked on water. I don't see you trying that, homie. Like, why you only look at one thing in the Bible? And so they try to justify the fact that they're loud. And listen, I get it. You might be even right. Let's just say for that, let's just say you're right. But how you said it was wrong. And you will never get your point across in a wrong way. There are too many people that were yelling at each other instead of loving each other. And I don't see anything in the Bible where Jesus told us to scream down somebody to get your point across. To belittle somebody so that they understand. What I see over and over again is love each other. Over and over again. And so here Peter, running ahead of Jesus, not listening to the three years worth of teaching, cutting off a guy's ear. Listen, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Okay? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Let me give you an example. As a father of two girls, I get angry really genuinely angry at the idea of sex trafficking, of child pornography, of like these horribly demonic, destructive, destroying, it angers me. But anger's not gonna solve it. So 
Here's what really challenges my spirit. Do I love them enough to love the people who are perpetrating these crimes into the kingdom of heaven? And there are times where I don't know if I could tell you I'd say yes. Like if I ran across a child molester, can I love him into the kingdom of heaven? I'd like to say yes. And I hope that the Lord will give me grace and strength to do it. But hating him to hell isn't going to solve anything. That justifies us. But when Christ died on the cross, there were two criminals on his right and his left, not innocent people. And he died for them. And he died for the ones spitting on him. And he died for the ones cursing him out. And he died for the ones who got him up there. And so anger is never going to solve it. I don't care if your purpose is righteous, your position isn't. And so we have to be careful. Righteous anger can be a great motivator. But when it's lashing out at human beings, it's unrighteous. You get what I'm saying? Righteous anger can motivate you to act, can motivate you to get on that mission field, to go into those local areas that you know stuff is going down. Me and my wife, we, we look for it, too. Like, when we find out there's, like, brothels in the neighborhood and stuff like that, yo, we are tattletales. We will tell real quick. Yo, I saw an old dude coming in there at 3 in the morning. He ain't getting no massage at 3 in the morning. You better shut that place down. I'm calling my local alderman. I'll snitch all day long. But I'm not going to sit there and go walk inside the place and punch every girl in the face and do it in the face. Just not going to produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. Are you feeling me? So you got that love, that fake love, right? You got unrighteous anger. And then you got titles and positions. That fake fruit of titles and positions. Well, what do I mean by that? I have a title of pastor. That doesn't mean much, though. Because a title and position will never be enough. You know how I know? Y'all ever got any dumb professors? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, hey, listen, I get that you got a degree and that you got a, but you are dumb. You are really, really bad at your job. <laughs> but guess what? They still got a title, don't they? Man, they might even have tenure. <laughs> right? And that's probably why they don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but just because you have a title and position doesn't mean anything. In this garden, Jesus said, you had uh, the Pharisees, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the elders. These are the religious leaders of that entire community. They are the ones that everyone in that Jewish community looked to for spiritual guidance. The ones that everyone looks to are in the garden betraying Jesus Christ, leading him to his death. Just because someone gives a title doesn't mean it is what they say they are. Let me give you an example. I was in... Um, Super H Mart. Anybody like Super H Mart? Anybody holler at Super H Mart? Okay, let me explain in case you don't know what Super H Mart is. Super H Mart is an Asian grocery store. We got a couple of them around the city. And uh, sometimes when I want like a real exotic fruit, like something cool, like a, not durian because I don't eat that, but like a jackfruit or, or a dragon fruit, something, you know, a little my extra taste, a little extra flavor from my diet, I'll go to Super H Mart because they got all those like Asian Pacific fruits that you can't always get at Jewel or something. And so I remember one day I walked into Super H Mart, and just down the hall, like right towards the end of the end cap, I see right in the fruit stand mini watermelons, this big. Freaked me out, right? But listen, you can't see real quick. I go up, and right above 199, it says limes. Those are key limes. It was a whole stack of key limes. With the label, mini watermelon, like I can't read. <laughs> I was like, nice try, Super H Mart. You almost had me cracking open a mini watermelon. What am I saying? Just because you labeled the fruit 
doesn't mean it is what you gave it the label of. Anybody can earn titles and labels. It's not really hard. You go through the proper procedures. There's a lot of bad drivers who have licenses. There's a lot of bad parents that are mom and dads. Just because you have a title doesn't mean much. And I'm not saying you don't honor, you don't respect, you don't, you know. I'm just saying do not elevate titles and positions into the title and position of God. Okay? They are, listen, I love Pastor Todd. I trust Pastor Todd. I believe in the ministry he and Chandra are doing. They are phenomenal people. And again, as personal friends, I enjoy being with them. That's not always the case, y'all, let's be honest. Like, I just have fun going to Bulls games with them and cracking. And we, last couple of times we went to Bulls games, we didn't even watch the game. We are just talking the whole time because I enjoy his company. But he and I both know that we're susceptible to failure. And so we got to be careful when we elevate somebody to that point. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 23. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So he's he's affirming the title that they have. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. Here's what I'm saying. Just because I mess up doesn't nullify what I've taught someone ministry-wise. The word of God is still true. It's still factual. And we've had over the last several years... Many celebrity Christians, guys with big platforms, women with big platforms who have had giant failures publicly, that does not nullify what they taught. It just shows that who they are, who they were living on in their own personal life was fake. But that doesn't mean that what they taught was fake. And the problem we have a lot of times is we associate when we lift up somebody on a pedestal, we put them so close to God that when they fail in our eyes, so does God. And what I'm saying is be careful with that. Because you might have had somebody in the church hurt you. You might have maybe had an experience growing up in the church and they abused you or they did something even worse than that. And now you hate God because of what an individual did. And I need you to understand God never failed you. That individual failed you. That individual who has their own free will and their own decisions royally messed up. And I'm not justifying what they did one bit. But what I am telling you is the God with the greatest title, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is not the one who hurt you. And so you don't have to turn your back on him. So I love that Jesus says this. He, he calls it out. He says, hey, listen, what they taught you, that's true. But don't follow who they are because they're fake. That's why I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, do as I do so long as I do what's right. As long as you see me following Jesus, you can follow me. But the second I deviate from Jesus, stop following me. This kind of makes sense, but I remember one time, there's sometimes I used to cheat on tests because I was just lazy, not dumb, just lazy. And here's how I proved that it wasn't that I was dumb. There'll be times I'll be cheating, and I'll look and be like, oh, that's wrong. (laughs) And so I'll get the test, and be like, bro, you cheated off me? How'd you get a higher score? You're kind of dumb on number 36, 37, 38. Like, I don't know how you came up with that answer. I followed you, but not all the way to a D. Like, I'm trying to get a passing grade here. And so all I'm saying is, listen, these people that God has placed in your life, your small group leaders, your pastors, this uh, Chicago XA that has been elevated, Chi Alpha, what it's doing, that's great. And they are trying really hard to do what's right. And if for whatever reason they ever fail, remember, God did it. Okay? And listen, like, if I could take it one step further, 
Um, we've gotten in a place within Christendom where we eat our wounded. And somebody who fails, we cast off to the side and we, and we get rid of them. Jesus was all about redemption. Because in this moment, we see Judas being the betrayer. But all the disciples betrayed Jesus. All of them turned on him and ran away from him. And he brought them back into the fold. Judas just never allowed himself that opportunity. And so we want to be careful because we're going to have moments like that. That just because somebody, just because one time you eat a piece of plastic fruit doesn't mean that every time you pick up a piece of fruit is fake. Are you feeling me? All right. Uh, Cameron, if you can help me out. I want to close out just a few more thoughts. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I love apple picking in the fall. I like tap into my inner Mexican like I just want to go in and, and be amongst the food. And... Uh, <laughs> Which I think is funny that we pay to do what other people get paid to do. But the apple picking is such a scam, right? It's like, you can pay us to clear our orchard. I said, oh, bet. That's a great deal. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the other, this past time, I took a bunch of my students and young adults, and we all went apple picking. And I love apple picking, right? I like you know, the little trolley ride, you know, the little haystack thing, and walking through the orchards. And uh, if you've ever gone apple picking, you know you got to be selective about the map, especially because how much they charge you for that little bag that you're going to fill up. And so all throughout, I'm, I'm picking different apples. But as you're walking the orchards, some of them, especially the older ones, there's a weird smell. There's a rotted, putrid, sour smell. And it's from all the apples that have fallen. Or as I realized with some of my kids, they'll just bite it and drop it on the ground. I'm like, that's messed up. At least take six bites. Like, don't just one bite it. But, you know, they bite it, they throw it on the ground. And so what happens is at the bottom of these trees, you have this pile of mushy, rotted, disgusting apples. So when you're apple picking, you're not doing one of these like, oh, bet, look at all these apples. <laughs> That's disgusting. You're picking, if you can, the taller. That's why I always feel bad for short girls that go apple picking. They're like, at this, but there's nothing left there anymore. <laughs> I like to pick the highest apple. But... Both apples grew from the same tree. So why are these bad and these good? Because only one is still connected to the tree. The other ones, for whatever reason, got disconnected. I think about that when I think about the Garden of Gethsemane that we just read about. How are all these men in the garden with Jesus, and yet all of them are fake? I think the main reason was because even though they were in the garden with Jesus, they were never connected to Jesus. Just because you, you're at a place doesn't mean you're doing anything, right? It's like you can go to the gym every day and still be out of shape if you never actually work out in the gym. You can go to class every day and still be uneducated if you never actually try to learn. You can go somewhere. You can go to church week in and week out and still go straight to hell. Because you never built a relationship with the one who wants to build a relationship with you and Jesus. I'm saying all this because I think sometimes we waste energy on doing something that's not producing any fruit. And instead of being where we need to be, we end up on the bottom of the tree. If you look at all these men in this garden, Judas was betraying Jesus. Peter was running ahead of Jesus. The religious leaders were condemning Jesus. And again, if we're not careful, we can be in the garden and not on the vine. John chapter 15, verse 4 through 5, I love what this says. Jesus is speaking here. 
He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Don't get it twisted here. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, I've learned that lesson time and time again. You cannot be successful in the eyes of God apart from him. You might find success in the world's eyes. You might get every degree imaginable. You might get a job at a big company making six, seven figures. You might buy the biggest house. And listen, I get on Redfin. Redfin tells me how poor I am. It just says you can't get past this street. You cannot live past this street. <laughs> but you can find success in the world as and all you are, if you're separated from God, is a piece of polished fake fruit. Beautiful on the outside, but hollow on the inside. Because throughout history, we've seen over and over again, money does not satisfy the soul. Carnegie, when he was asked how much money is enough, and he was basically the, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk of his day, said, one more dollar than I have today. That's when I'll have enough. If, if success was enough, we wouldn't see the amount of depression and rehab that celebrities have to go into on a regular basis. If success were enough and magic degrees were enough, you wouldn't see what we see on a regular basis. And one of the most successful countries in the world and yet has one of the highest suicide rates. So when I was there and I'm walking through those streets, I love the country. I love the culture. I love what was going on, but I hurt for the people there. So all I'm saying is this. Jesus Christ says, or the Bible says, I should say, I've come to give you life and life to the And I believe that's what God's offering you. And if you're new to this, I need you to understand, this isn't about joining a church. This isn't about becoming religious. Because as we've seen, that in and of itself doesn't do anything. It's about being connected to the vine, building a relationship with Jesus Christ. And every relationship, you learn each other. There's a start to it. There's that awkward first conversation. There's that getting to know it. And then you get to that point in your relationship with somebody where you just can be across the room, give each other that look, and you just know exactly what the other's saying. When I said yes to marry my wife, I knew I wanted to be with her. I knew I wanted to be her husband. I didn't know what it meant to actually be her husband. I spent the rest of my life, the last eight years, learning how to love her. And I will spend the rest of my life learning how to love her. And it's no different than my relationship with God. Because when I was eight, I said yes to wanting to start a relationship with Jesus. And since I was eight years old, almost 30 years, I've spent every day figuring out how to love Jesus more. Playing catch up with the one who loves me to the fullest extent of love. So I'm going to ask you to stand real quick as we get ready to close out. And I want to pray for just two groups of people in this room. In a moment, I want to pray for those of you who already claim to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to pray that God would help us to go and be real fruit. But in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a second. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to, like, you know, flick your forehead or anything. <laughs> I just want you to focus in on what I'm saying and, and not get distracted by anything else. I want to talk to your heart for a moment. I believe that while I was speaking... There was something going on on your soul.
there was this little tug, kind of like a nudge saying, he's talking to you, he's talking to you, he's talking to you. And I need you to understand that wasn't me talking to you. We believe that was the Spirit of God drawing you to a relationship with him, to get to know him, to say yes to the one who always said yes to you over 2,000 years ago. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship. And Jesus Christ made it really easy. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. The rest of it is just learning what that means and growing into that. So I don't know you. I don't know where you're at. But I just want to make sure before I pray for all the believers, if there's anybody in this room who has never made that decision, or man, maybe you did ceremonially at one point in your life, but it was never genuine. And now you're old enough and wise enough to understand you need what you need in God, and you're willing to start that. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, all I need you to do is just signal me real quick. Lift up your hand, and I'll include you in this prayer. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's a decision between you and God. So young man, young lady, if you're in this room and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, you want to know him the way he knows you, just signal me by lifting up your hand just real quick where you're at. Just give it one moment. Awesome. So I want to pray now for the believers in this room. I want to pray that God would make you so desirable in the way that you live, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you carry yourself, in the way that you represent him, that when people interact with you, they desire God even more. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room who has a relationship with you, God. And Lord, I know that our intentions oftentimes are right, but our actions aren't always lining up with that. So God, I pray for your strength and your mercy because in and of ourselves, it is impossible to live the way you called us to live. But with you, all things are possible. So God, we pray for your strength. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your wisdom. Father God, we pray that we wouldn't just go along with ceremony, but there would be real heart and desire behind that. We pray that we wouldn't allow unrighteous anger to get the best of us and to damage our testimony in front of other people. We pray that we wouldn't allow the titles and positions of man to supersede the title and position of God. God, we ask that in everything we do, we would be desirable to an unbeliever. We would draw people closer to you instead of repelling them away from you. Father, we pray that we would produce much fruit because that's what you called us to do. That, Father, Chi Alpha would grow, not just because people showed up and they like hanging out with each other, but because when they showed up, they tasted you and they saw that you were good. Father, that's as simple as that. So help us, Lord, in and out of this place, wherever we are, to carry ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel and to do things according to your will. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode on the podcast. Hey, we hope you were encouraged. Pastor Joey brought an amazing word, and that's something for us to be reminded about what he said, that you can be in the garden but not connected to the vine. So let us live out that John 15 when Jesus said, abide in me and I abide in you so that you can bear much fruit. And we want to bear much fruit, but not just any fruit. We want to bear good fruit. Hey, have a blessed week as you abide in Jesus, and we will be back here next week with a new episode on Monday. God bless you.